Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to The Real World. Today you will be joining us for part two of the discussion on the ban on fossil fueled vehicles and its implications on the real estate sector. I am once again joined by Philip Plato from Plato Estates to discuss the direct implications on roadside real estate and petrol stations. Hello Philip, it's lovely to have you back. Now Philip, I'd like to jump straight in and ask you first of all to explain to our listeners what the fundamental difference here is between charging stations and petrol stations. Yes, again, it comes down to real fundamentals. Petrol, buying petrol for your car or diesel for your car has always been treated as a distress purchase. You know, you're driving along, you look down at the fuel gauge, oh, I'm getting a bit low, I need to buy some fuel. Electric charging turns that on its head. It, you've got to, it's got to be a destination simply because of the dwell time that is needed to charge this car. And even if you get it down to 30 or 40 minutes, you know, that's, that's still a considerably longer period of time than it would take to fill a conventional fossil fuel car. I am not convinced, as I said, for all the reasons before, that where they're going to simply change a few pumps and move some petrol pumps and convert them into electric charging points, if only for the reason that safety regulations require the electric charging points to be a certain distance from petrol pumps. Now, from what you're saying, we won't simply be seeing petrol stations being redeveloped into charging stations. And actually, it's far more likely that these charging stations will be incorporated into parking spaces of office and retail and maybe even industrial. However, do you see any potential for investors purchasing pieces of land in in city centres or or close to retail areas with the intention of only turning them into charging stations? I don't think we're going to see people buying areas of um, land and turning them into electric charging stations for cars. I don't think that for the very simple reason that I think there are too many alternative uses with higher um, alternative use values uh, that, will, that will prevent that. I, I think what's more likely to happen, as I say, is that some of the destinations, and they will probably be workplace destinations, but they might, as, might equally be shopping retail-led destinations where people will then install the charging because they know that their customers are going to be on site for enough time to charge their cars. And it will be an additional income stream. And that may be at the cost, as I say, of the petrol retailer, because I don't think people are necessarily going to want to sit on a petrol station or what was a petrol station for 40 minutes and, uh, and have several cups of cluster of their car recharges. Now, in last week's episode, the main point that you wanted to get across to our listeners is that this ban on fossil fuels and the aim to achieve net zero emissions does not just affect petrol stations and roadside real estate. It does have a wider effect and and there's many wider implications. However, narrowing that down now, what do you think the effects will be on roadside real estate and actually specifically petrol stations? It's fragmented the effect because at the moment, rural petrol stations are absolutely vital. They are a vital component of living in the countryside uh, because public transport is normally pretty sparse. And so if, you're, if you live in the country, um, highlands of Scotland or somewhere, a car is your only realistic means of getting around. And if your petrol station closes, you know, you've got a serious problem. And of course, again, in the, in the, the rural areas, they are probably even less likely to have uh, infrastructure that would facilitate any kind of rapid charging. 
you are going to be dependent upon eight-hour overnight charging if you were to go to an electric vehicle. But I, my personal view is, is I think that those living in rural areas are going to be less inclined to take electric cars for that very reason. They've got longer distances to go with, with less infrastructure to recharge their cars. The, the filling stations that move to electric charging and, and introduce electric charging will have to be, they'll have to be bigger, the bigger filling stations. And that's most likely going to be, as I said, the supermarkets who already have the majority of the um, uh, petrol throughput anyway, um, where they've got the space. And sadly, that does put a great deal of pressure on the smaller, particularly rural petrol station, which, as I say, smaller in size, won't have the space to put an electric charging point. It might not have the money to invest a hundred grand or so in uh, uh, some really decent quality electric charging points. You can get them cheaper, but once you go down in price, you again, you increase the dwell time or the charge time. Um, so there is going to be a tension there as to, as to what happens particularly in the rural areas. Yes, that's such a good point. The rural communities really do heavily rely on their petrol stations. And you're right, they probably will be the last of us to, to make that change into electric vehicles. Now, do you think there will be any governmental support when it comes to petrol stations and making this change? I think there will be for rural. I think they'll have to be, frankly. I don't think it'll be done for petrol stations as a whole. I think it will be done on a location basis. Um, as I say, but areas, deprived areas, areas that are, as I say, rural or remote, you know, they're more likely, I think, to, to get the support. Um, I think in, in, in the greater conurbations of our bigger cities like London, Birmingham, and Manchester, um, no, I think, I think they, will, they will either have to adapt or, or find some other alternative use. Now, that actually brings me straight on to my next question. And that would be, if not charging stations, what can these fueling stations be redeveloped into? The petrol station market has done an absolutely amazing job in the last few, well, last decade or so, of reinventing itself. Uh, because most of them now have quite a large convenience store and convenience shopping has become a very big part of modern life. And uh, it's most of us they fill up the car and while we're doing it, we pick up a pint of milk and maybe what we're going to have is a ready-made meal tonight or something. Um, that's become a part of life. Uh, whether it, the question is whether those convenience stores can still survive without having the, the fuel bringing those customers to their door. Um, I think, in advance of my own question, it would probably be the ones that are already in areas where there's a lot of chimney pots in walking distance or in close proximity. But again, I think the filling stations that have convenience stores on transitory routes that are not surrounded by residential areas might, might struggle uh, as standalone convenience stores. Now, it seems that the success of petrol stations being redeveloped into convenience stores really does depend on the density of the area and, as you say, the number of chimney pots. However, for those petrol stations that are not located in densely populated areas, are there any particular hurdles that would come along with redeveloping the land into alternative uses? Yes, there, well, there are hurdles. Um, the, the first thing you would do if you were looking to redevelop a petrol station is you'd want to inquire how old is the infrastructure? How old are those tanks that are underground? Are they double skinned? Um, 
Uh, is there any leak detection installed there? Or are they 40 plus years old single skin tanks that have probably started to leak? And if they have, you definitely need to do some ground investigations to make sure there isn't some puddle of petrol, to use a simple phrase, sitting underneath it that might leach into any aquifer or, or, uh, uh, or cause any other environmental contamination. That's absolutely vital. Even if you have got more modern tanks, you'd still need to be a bit circumspect about whether there has been any spillage or leaks that, that might need some cleaning up. And the amount of cleanup you have to do depends largely on what you're redeveloping. If you're redeveloping for residential, the very high standards will quite rightly be required. But if you're redeveloping for some other industrial or commercial use, uh, the cleanup costs shouldn't be too much of a concern. Now that brings us on to the next topic of contamination. And I know that historically, a lot of investors have been put off with the idea of purchasing petrol stations or garages with the often wrong assumption that the land is contaminated. Now, do you think that investors are missing a trick, so to speak, when disregarding petrol stations and garages for that reason? Things have changed a little bit, but certainly about 10 or 15 years ago, you would be hard pressed to find an investment fund willing to invest in a petrol station or even a car dealership, partly because they didn't understand it and partly because there were these concerns about the environmental risks. I think as a lot of these filling stations have been redeveloped and better tanks and better leak detection and, and leak mitigation has been employed, that fear, I wouldn't say it's gone away, but there are now funds who will invest in these things. And, uh, and have done so very successfully for the simple reason um, that you are likely to find tenants who are willing to sign long leases. It's one of the, one of the few remaining sectors where you can still write a 25-year lease. Yes, that's actually a very interesting point. And I have to ask, do you think that that will change in any way now the ban has been announced? Or actually, have you noticed any changes in, um, in tenants' attitude towards signing long leases, knowing that in 10 years' time there will be this ban on fossil-fueled cars? Well, I, I, again, I think it depends on the site. If it's a site that's traded, traded well, both in terms of fuel and as a convenience store, the short answer is no. There are still people prepared to uh, renew their lease or, or to take a new lease. Perhaps not 25 years, but certainly 15, 20 years is still, is still commonly talked about. Because these locations are very difficult to replicate. Um, with so much demand for housing and so many of uh, uh, these development sites being converted for, uh, particularly for residential, you know, they're, they're, it's very hard to maintain a presence on uh, the main road network and you know, in the main towns and cities. That's always been the approach, I think, of the car dealers. Uh, they, they always want to be in the major conurbations and obviously with petrol retail as well, the, the, the busy roads uh, where there's a lot of passing traffic that they can draw on, they want to keep those locations. Now, taking the 2030 timeframe into consideration, how long do you think it will actually be until petrol stations are null and void? Of course, from 2030, we will no longer be able to purchase a new fossil fueled cars. However, there will still be hundreds of thousands, if not millions of them on the road. How long after that do you think it will be until they become obsolete? Very good question. There are estimates that there are currently 200,000 electric vehicles 
uh, on UK roads at the moment. Um, now that's been, that's following a couple of years of quite significant growth in the sale of electric vehicles. So, but we're still only up to 200,000 EVs at the moment. But you've got to compare that to 30 million cars that are on the UK roads at the moment. And I think that the research has suggested that by the time the ban on the production of fossil fuel powered cars comes into effect, by the time we can get five years past that in 2035, 60% of the vehicles on the road will still be needing fuel for the need of petrol reason. So I don't think we're going to see a sudden disappearance of conventional petrol stations. Um, as I think I've said to you before, this is going to be evolution, not revolution. But there is going to be a decline in their conventional hydrocarbon throughputs. Now, this is, of course, coming from a layperson's perspective and really an opinion that I formed only from what I can see on the market. But it does appear as if Tesla have a monopoly on the charging station market. It does appear, and from what I hear, they are the most effective. They only charge Tesla vehicles. And of course, Tesla vehicles can be charged by all other charging stations. So my question for you would be, if you were going to develop a charging station, would you look to joint venture with Tesla? Um, the short answer is no, I wouldn't joint venture with Tesla. That's personal view, simply because I think we are, we're almost having a VHS Betamax moment in, in, uh, in this technology. Um, you're absolutely right. There are several different types of charging sockets, um, which I think is only adding to the inertia of public embracing electric vehicles. It's confusing. Uh, I, think, I think when I looked it up, there's about four different types of socket and plug. Um, the one that is emerging as the, uh, the most likely universal standard is combined charging system, CCS. Um, but you're right, Tesla have gone their own way, but there are, there, there are other charging stations out there, as they say, that, that can do the job and that will um, provide rapid charging, as rapid as a Tesla charger. Tesla do seem to be pushing, though, because there's another charger they're, they're about to bring to market that is supposed to be faster again. So I think that the, the, the companies that are most likely to be joint venturing with property investors uh, are not the car manufacturers. Interestingly, the um, oil companies are reinventing themselves. They don't call themselves oil companies now, they call themselves energy companies. And um, the likes of Shell and BP are doing a lot of work uh, in this regard. But there are also other companies that, who are going into joint venture of production of charging, uh, charging stations with uh, occupiers or owners of property. Um, I think Tesla as a brand, now I think that's, that's biting off more than they can chew to sort of want to become the, the leading charging uh, point manufacturer as well as the leading car manufacturer. Um, there's no doubt about it, their technology has pushed things along, but they're being followed very closely by the other motor manufacturers who are all tending towards the CCS uh, type of rapid charger rather than the, 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 the Tesla type of charger. See, I'm quite surprised to hear that you don't think Tesla will be the, uh, the main suppliers in the future. Only time will tell, I'm afraid, Hannah. And I may be, I may be sitting here in a couple of years' time saying to you, 
you know what? I didn't know what I was talking about. Tesla got it spot on. This is one of those areas that uh, we will just have to wait and see. Um, and I said to you at the start that if you if you think that electric vehicles is going to be here for the long term, um, well, who knows? Maybe Tesla have got it right. But my own personal view is I think that, that electric vehicles are uh, just a route map along the pathway towards net zero emissions. And it might take 15, 20 years for us to work through the electric vehicle period. But it may be if we were conducting this interview in another 20 years, uh, I will be long retired by then, but uh, if we were, uh, we might be talking about some completely different technology that is now, again, displacing the electric vehicle. Now, I think that's the perfect place to round this episode of The Real World off. Philip, I can't thank you enough. It was an absolute pleasure having you here today. And it was really fascinating to hear the widespread implications that this ban will have on the real estate world. It's been a breath of fresh air. I love being with your firm. Um, you do great work and anything I can do to help, happy to do so. And to all of our listeners, thank you so much once again for joining this episode of The Real World.